Hello and welcome to the Conscious Consulting Podcast, where we will introduce you to the Conscious Consulting philosophy. Together with our senior advisors from all around the world, we blend the deep knowing of wisdom traditions, technology, modern science and business, and show you how to transform this wisdom into impact in your daily life as a consultant, leader or entrepreneur. Welcome to the CCG community. In our new podcast series, CCG Advisors On, we explore trending topics with our senior advisors and enrich current conversations from diverse backgrounds like psychotherapy, Taoism, holism, Buddhism, modern science and business. In this episode, we will explore one of the most discussed phenomena of our current time, narcissism. Narcissism is a term often used in anecdotes about people who post too many selfies on social media. But a real narcissistic personality disorder is more than just overconfidence. Severe narcissism can be harmful for the people around as it often leads to an emotionally abusive and toxic environment. The harsh truth is that narcissists can be everywhere from close friends, family members and oftentimes co-workers and C-level executives. So how can we cope with this toxicity and even find our way to make peace with it? In our conversation about narcissism, you will hear different perspectives on how narcissism develops, how to detect a narcissist, if there is hope for healing, and if you can even have a good relationship with a narcissist. Yeah, I witnessed, uh, I don't know, I'm not a, a psychologist it feels like a narcissist in my direct environment. It's not so direct that it's in my house, but it's in my next environment. Um, and it's so close in my environment that I can't really get out of it. I have to find a way to deal with it in, in a way, in, in a sense. Or I think I have to deal with it. I don't know how to cope with this situation, basically. Yeah, my approach right now is to see it a little bit as a yeah personality disorder as it is. Like in a way, I don't really can deal with that person on a rational basis. So yeah, my question would be, have you experienced it? Uh, like being around someone with like this kind of personality disorder? And is it possible to have a good relationship with a narcissist uh, and good I mean not in terms of like a relationship like you could have with a person that has no personality disorder but I could live with dealing with a narcissist like okay he has this kind of personality disorder and I can't talk to him or be around him like I am with other people but basically just how to set boundaries is it good to set boundaries How do I deal with those kind of situations? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit. I, I, Julia and Christian know I have a lot to say about this topic. Um, I won't go into the details now, but I do think I have a lot of concrete suggestions um, to have as workable a relationship with narcissism as possible. But I also want to set the context that uh, in, uh, to broaden the topic a little bit in terms of both neurodivergence And what to do when there's tox tox toxicity in an environment. So not necessarily limiting it to narcissism. Uh, narcissism definitely is a 
trendy topic in the U.S. Sounds true. Held a online conference about it. I listened to to much of it, and it was helpful because it's also this is an age where social media brings out a lot of the narcissistic traits in everybody. Right and the and the age of entitlement and so on. So I think even those who don't have the personality disorder per se can exhibit narcissistic traits. So there is also a con- con- very concrete things that we can do to work with people like that. So basically, there are. Uh, I just want to set the larger context and then uh, more concrete level in terms of interactions. I think I can offer some things. I want to share a few thoughts. We have a responsibility to protect ourselves. We have a responsibility to ourselves, and so the idea of boundaries is is very important. We also have a responsibility to protect other vulnerable people where we can. And so, in the face of a personality where there are toxic elements, one has to deal with it. I'm going to use I'm going to use the example of a poisonous snake. You can't blame the snake for being poisonous, <laughs> but you treat the snake as though it's poisonous. You manage your relationship with that. And what we have found through my years of studies in this area is that often the narcissist is somebody that had a very deprived childhood, not deprived necessarily from the perspective of material goods. But deprived of love, and has had to kind of overcompensate to find. And so, the healing of the narcissist is actually to access the deeper aspect of them that knows that they're good people. They don't have to put on this performance. And I found it as two expressions. The one expression is the kind of narcissist who is undermining. Passive resistant, who will be undermining others, and that's one expression. And the other expression is an overfunction, always performing, always on the stage, always desperately seeking to be in the limelight. And of course, the character that the world has dealt with very recently was the president of the United States, narcissist. But with a deeply abused childhood, and so we have a a hurting personality that doesn't recognize that hurt, that puts on a shell of performance that needs the attention, needs to be in the limelight. So you really have an unwell person. And so my NLP teacher used to say to me, "You don't have to be in rapport with everybody." You only go into rapport with somebody when you know that going into it is going to be for the general good of the whole system of all concerned. If you are trying to be nice to people that are constantly exploiting, the fact that you are accommodating, the fact that you are nice, we're not addressing what needs to be addressed. It's okay to break rapport. Now, breaking rapport doesn't mean being rude, but it just means turning away. Not reacting, not responding, and so it seems to me that, as it is in any relationship, one wants to amplify that which is wholesome. You want to recognize it. You want to want to encourage it. You want to respond to it to give it energy. 
But when it comes to that kind of toxic response, you want to dampen it by taking away energy from it. What the narcissist likes is a fight, particularly if they know they can win. And so you want to take away that kind of energy. So the whole notion of Taoism, the stuff that we were looking at over the weekend, of equanimity, that doesn't mean I just let you do what you will with me, but I mean I'm not reacting to you. I can turn away, break the rapport. And so this becomes tricky when you're in a situation where it is like right in the family or right in the immediate working team, it's like with an alcoholic. You need then to have the team come on board and say, we have a problem that needs to be addressed here, and we want to offer this person the opportunity to recognize how they're actually responding and how it impacts everybody, to see if you can get your, your team to respond, almost like with an, uh, an addict, because narcissism is an addiction. It's an addiction to attention, which is an over-need for attention, which leads to comes from bruising. So that's a few thoughts I just want to open with. Great, very useful. Thank you. Thank you, Claudius. One follow-up question. I love also the, um, the comparison with the poisonous snake. This makes a lot of sense to me. But when it is an addiction, to an alcoholist, you say you have a problem. You're an alcoholic you have to do something about it. Would you do that to a narcissist? Is that possible? So I see now. <laughs> I see Yin as, uh, as, an, as an opinion on that one. I'm looking forward to your opinion, Yin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think with uh, alcoholics, it's definitely possible for to have an intervention, right, of loved ones for them to recognize that there's a problem. Narcissism, I, I would say it's much less likely. It's so hard for their, yeah, I see Christian. Um, it's so uh, central to their identity that they're okay. So this not okayness is something that they cannot allow into their self-belief. Uh, so uh, I think it's more not, I, I, I don't think to have any expectations that they will do anything about it. Um, so just to, it's, it's more work on us, how we interact with a toxic person when we need to, it's, it's those things that we can do. Okay. I probably try to be, try to be different, but, but I think my, my, uh, wishful thinking is like probably not in this lifetime, but like in many lifetimes, they will transform. I think, uh, like the, the, the word I, I, these days I, I start to use more and more is like the the ontological kind of existence, because I think, um, as Claudia said, like, I think uh, Buddhists have the same discussions about how people holding to their self. Uh, and then narcissistic people definitely have a very strong notion of selves and, and, and presence. Um, uh, incidentally, when Lisa was talking about uh, the, the, the question, I, I came across, um, I want to share screen again. <laughs> uh, it's kind of an effective way to show things and tell. Um, I came across like a, a recent post by Adam Grant. Like uh, there are two research, like one research was talking about like how narcissism has to do with leadership in children. Um, and then like while we we're talking about it, it recall actually one paper I wrote, I quote another similar uh, research so this one is talk about narcissism and leadership in children in the sense that like children's school are narcissistic, they think they are better leaders. 
Um, and then there were another research that I, I quote in another um, chapter that I wrote earlier. Um, it was actually like a research on the uh, Royal Marines. So similar kind of um, research, uh, thinking about like who actually get promoted faster uh, and then how they, they uh, among like all the cadets, like how um, the, the leader will be chosen throughout the process. So turnout is actually those narcissistic people because they believe that they are better leaders. And then that they, they, even their peers don't think that they are really good leader, but they will go up higher in the rank. Um, it's kind of like the reflections of the reality. Um, and um, somehow I think that's how identity are being created in the process and, and recognition is being uh, achieved in, in the process as well. Um, I think another kind of bit and pieces of thoughts that I have is um, when I was thinking about leadership and then we, we kind of have a similar kind of thinking and discussions about servant leadership before, I think uh, one way I was talking about um, the, the similar kind or similar or, or parallel of servant leadership in the Buddhist context is actually the, um, the representations of Bodhisattvas and the Buddha. So I think the, the way that they can carry so much leadership in, in so to speak, uh, burdens or uh, sacrifices, so to speak, because they, they are completely selfless. Um, they may put on different coats, like different kind of wardrobe. So they may be one day they have to be a great leader. They, they can put on the, the, the facade of a great leader or maybe they can be so humble, become just like someone on the street, just like a beggar but they present whatever shape and form. They have no kind of ego or self-identity, um, but to serve. So, so I think that that is a pretty powerful message. Um, and then I think the final bit that I would like to share is, is very similar to what Claudius was saying. It, it actually struck me, um, Buddhists actually also have the same discussions about um, silent and dispel. I think that's the best translations that I have. Like when people in the same kind of sangha, um, they have, difficulties dealing with people. Um, of course, like you try to like every kind of lunar month, uh, first and the 15th day, like you have a discussion, talk about like, oh, like you may have break this, this uh, discipline or, or that, right? But like you may come to a situation where actually it doesn't work. Um, and, and one of the teaching by the Buddha is like, you, you don't engage with them, like you don't kind of fight with them. Like you don't, um, so, so you dispel, not, not like, uh, force them away, but basically keep a distance. I think uh, probably that's a better translation. Um, uh, and I think one thing that I realize is um, sometimes uh, if you have common interests with those narcissistic people, then you will start to have those kind of interactions with them. Um, like I think that can tell from my banking career. Like I have a lot of narcissistic friends like who are in the banking industry. Um, like definitely they have similar kind of pursuit of of power money and and frame um and then uh, to some extent when you don't share the same level of interest or, or same type of interest with them like you your path start to drift away from them um and and i would say like like when you have uh these kind of differences in interest i think just like what we are doing right now like i think i think you you start to meet with a lot more people with with bigger heart and and much less ego and less narcissistic. I think that that's it for me. I was having two thoughts. One was, as Claudia said, and I I also feel that this is true. 
that people didn't get love enough and they're overcompensating. And, and the problem is that they're getting their good performers and they are always getting recognition and maybe respect and money and success, but they still don't get love. They always are compensated on the wrong level. They get more and more of what they actually don't need. And they get people get afraid of them. And then they again make the experience people respect me. They are frightened of me, but they don't love me. And it, it's like a vicious circle, I think. The, the more they are trying to be good at what it is in order to deserve love, the less love they get. And, and it, it gets worse and worse. And, and I thought maybe one idea would be to just love them, but it's difficult because I don't know if they're even able to receive love anymore. And, and it's actually a very sad situation. And they get desperate because other people who are not trying so hard and are not as successful in the outer world get all the love. And, and that, that must be so frustrating. So I think one thing that helps me is to cultivate a, a sense of compassion, although it's, um, it helps me to, to cultivate compassion for, for narcissists. It doesn't mean that I want to be like the target of their um, exerting and living out their narcissism. On the other, I don't want to be on the other end of narcissism. But still, I feel that when I feel compassion for them, it's healing for me and it helps me to not get so triggered. But I think cultivating your own clear, pure presence can be a way of helping the situation. So that, that's my contribution. In, again, in Tibetan Buddhism, we have, a, we have an image of a display of a Buddha form which is called the Hungry Ghost. And the Hungry Ghost is displayed with a big head and a thin neck and a tiny hungry belly. And representing that it's stuffed as much as possible stuff stuffing in it, its mouth and nothing triggering down to nurture the body. So the more it, It stuffs in terms of wealth, of appreciation, uh, the hungry it stays. And this is a, this reminded me very much to, to narcissists. They are addictive. They are addictive in terms of they enroll you in their lives, in their realities. They are charming. They are outstanding to some extent. So they are inviting to people. And it's very, the, at the same time, they are teachers. They are teachers to stay alert. And they are teachers in terms of uh, creating and shaping your own boundaries in terms of flexibility, but in terms of also extreme alertness of until it's here and no further. They are master teachers in teaching us to, to, to respect and honor our own boundaries. Uh, they are masters in inviting you over to their territory in sweet talk, in aggression, in power plays, 
Uh, and as such, they're masters again in honoring your own boundaries, your own territory. Stay in your home turf. Don't go over there. So, and they're perfect underminers. They play that undermining role perfectly. What I think is a way in looking back to last week and emptiness or equanimity is a good way of of meeting them of or of being with them, not allowing them to engage with you or not, not allowing yourself to engage with them. Oh, answer their invitation with emptiness. Uh, a Taoist would maybe say. Yeah, I'm um, I'm thinking also of martial arts as a way of dealing with narcissism. Uh, like Aikido. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's like not opposing and fighting back, but not playing the game. As, as Claudius said, it's like not engaging. But I think it, at the same time, make, put up your stop sign. Actually, don't cross that line. And it's no contradiction to be compassionate and distinct. And very explicit in that. Don't cross that line. So this is, I would say, essential to you. The question is how sometimes it's, it's not possible to not engage because you are engaged in, in a term, in a family, you can't, you are engaged. It's the nature of the, of the constellation that you are engaging, that you have to engage with a situation. It's, I, I, I try to not engage. The thing is, uh, Shantina, maybe on what level not to engage, because in, on, on some level you have to yeah. engage. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's a level. It's like, the, the no must come from a place of love, compassion. Because as you pointed out, Julia, that's where the basic hall is there. So it, it's, it's a big challenge to, at the same time, being able to be firm, to say no when it wants to, to be a no. But at the same time, you're not withdrawing, let's say, you're caring for that person. Challenge, difficult. <laughs> difficult to yeah. care for someone who's toxic. Yeah. For me, it's a, a big question of, of the intervention. How far is intervention possible or is intervention even possible? The, the, the problem is that the nature of this condition prevents healing on this level or, or insight. You can try to like, you know, get him to a therapist it was different in different ways, right? You can talk about it as self-development, etc. And if this person goes to therapy, it will come out. And a skillful therapist can work with that person. And it's possible this person has some intention to, uh, or has some insight in that something is not working in his life. You know, everyone has a different mix, complex mixture 
Um, but yeah, I think most narcissists, it would be very difficult. And they, they are probably actually highly alarmed about the potential of working with a therapist because they don't want that part to come out. I, I think I think it's it's a real challenge, like many people here have said, to basically be able to love them without trusting them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's awkward. It, you, you, I feel when I try to do that, that something is off. But I have to live with that. That is just the nature of the thing. I can, I can love and care for this person, but he is a landmine. Like I cannot trust him. I cannot get close. Right. So the boundary is like a constant balancing adjustment of like, do I still feel like myself, or am I, you know, basically not too far, not too close. And it's it's hard. It's not. They can feel something's wrong too. They want more. So they will escalate. So you're going to be constantly tested. You you will be tested in that moving distance. But I think um, that's the only thing that really works as a principle. And on a more concrete level, the communication is just business-like, right? Like remove the personal, remove the emotion, um, deal with them a little bit like, Transactional and not, not relational. relational. Yeah. yeah, not relational, not close enough, which feels odd given who we are. Right? Yang, I have this experience that when that with narcissists, when I try to be transactional and really fact-based, they make everything about the relation about them. Yeah, exactly. it's almost impossible to be business-like with them. If you discuss something and you're in a different opinion because you you see differently or you don't support them they immediately feel like like actually it is you're not evaluating them as a person so they are always relational i feel they're, they're never on the business it's a, it's a game that they play for sure yeah, yeah. When they but they are also transactional with a lot of others they 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 don't have empathy right they lack the ability to empathize so they actually Uh, treat other people a little bit uh, utilitarian right they're get trying to get something from other people right and they may like project some relational thing but it's often not based on reality and they try to dominate uh, and be in control in every situation and that that's odd enough that i feel that a lot of people who are narcissists become psychologists or coaches yeah. I see a lot of uh, narcissism in coaches and I had a lot of like colleagues who were highly narcissistic because in this role, they were always in control yeah. and, and it was, they could always make a big, you know, distinction or, or um, they were untouchable in a way because they are the coaches, they are psychologists, they are the therapists. No, no, there's a different, there's a it's extreme difference in, in our European reality Uh, between a psych- psychologist and psychotherapist. That's true. Psychotherapists are less likely. Psychotherapy goes through their psychotherapy. And if it's kind of a good process, they won't get through that without mm-hmm. looking at that. But psychologists don't have to go for a therapy themselves. Yeah. Therefore, they are always on this uh, ele- elevated throne of, I know it all and I tell it to you. And they, they, oh, they, very, mu- they very often <laughs> sit like this, the, the psychologists, when they... <laughs> talk i don't see this so much in therapists but also in, in coaches it's it's quite common 
to be like, you know, a little bit, be a little bit higher. <laughs> so they want to dominate and say, I'm okay, you're not okay. And then they choose a role where they can be okay and they can be the ones who know and the ones, even they can really be supportive. Um, and, and I asked a friend who is a psychotherapist, what I can do, let's lead up to the very, because I also said, what can I do? How do I deal with them if I have to deal? And she said, one thing you can do is confront them directly with, the, with their behavior. Because what I experienced with narcissists, I worked at that they are very um, judgmental mm. and sometimes really hurtful. They really say things to me that are very, very offensive and insulting and, and, and make you down. And she said, if this happens, you can ask them, what, why are you like this? What are you doing? Are you, don't you feel well? <laughs> Which will make them crazy. But, but, you know, just put it back, back to, to them. them. Yeah. Don't take it, but confront them with the behavior in public and it doesn't even have to be in public but it, it never came to my mind but she said you know uh, what's going on with you why are you so so toxic and and so unfriendly in, and so insulting here uh don't you feel well in the sense that like kind of like when uh, you're dealing with a goat or a vampire you put a mirror right in front of themselves yeah yeah <laughs> she said that can help to to give them, ask them, why are you doing this? What's going on? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I think maybe it doesn't really help to, to remove the tension, but at least you're distancing yourself from, from their words, words that are hurting you so that it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. yeah. So, mm -hmm. Don't take the insulting. You, mm -hmm. You're just amazed. Because you assume that insulting comes from he's he's being insulting because he's not well, yeah. which is true in a in a in a, in a way. And the in public is a really good point, actually. Mm -hmm. This is something I also learned. Like it's it's important to have at least another person around. Yeah. What, what I learned is that when I con confront uh, those narcissists with when I tell them I, that this hurts. They say, oh, my God, you're so easily offended and it's you're so difficult. I mean, I, I really can't say anything without you being so sensitive about, oh, my God, you're always the poor and they're always the victim. So you get it again. So that's why I refrained conf confronting them. But maybe you, I did it the wrong way. I think I did it out of a place of being offended and not of a place of being, hey, I think one, one thing I want to add, though, is like um, I, I we, we talk about how to deal with narcissists uh, at a personal level. Um, I think one very uh, detrimental issue uh, with narcissists, I, of course, like Claudia, as you mentioned, uh, Hitler, um, but I think sometimes in an organization that the challenge is, is to spot these toxic narcissistic leaders, which will take us all down into like the abyss of, of disaster. Um, I think, of course, I, I think earlier, a lot of people would say Trump would be one. I, I don't know whether you guys would agree, but, but I think how to spot these kind of narcissists and how not to being um, led by them uh, or, or being 
um, comply with um, their leadership, I think that that is something um, collectively we may need to to think about because that that is actually detrimental to to mankind. I would say. <laughs> I want to just talk about the possibility of healing. Mm. Um, my view is, if the narcissism is of such a quality that it is looking like psychosis then you've got such an unintegrated state, such a fragmented personality mm. that it's going to take a miracle for something to happen. And miracles do happen. Mm. They do. People that have been deeply, deeply troubled have come to deep transformative opportunities. They do happen. It takes the right set of circumstances. It takes the right action, the right person, the right word at the right time. I think the key is if they are prepared to engage in a conversation about their behavior, if they're prepared to acknowledge, you were giving a very good example, Julia, say, why are you doing this? And if they're prepared to reflect on that, then there's hope. <laughs> then there's hope. If they, if they can reflect on that question, tell me what's happening, what? and then if they can listen. But if they can't do that, you've got, to, you've got to protect yourself and you've got to set your boundaries. Lourdes, I, I love the idea of healing and what comes to my mind immediately, it will never happen on an intellectual level because this is exactly how it works. But maybe it could work on a spiritual level. I was just thinking I'd give them LSD or something, some or ayahuasca. I think if they could experience wholeness and connectedness on a spiritual level if they have this experience of being one and and actually being loved and being i think maybe that's really the only thing that could help maybe this would be a solution well seriously yeah it's, i mean seriously that's the psychedelics not, are coming back in in psychiatric treatments recently uh it, especially in untreatable uh disease phenomena uh where the experience of wholeness is essential so to bring, to allow them for one moment in time in their life, maybe for the first time, to realize, oh, everything is okay. And it always has been there, never has been separated. There is, I'm, I am love. I'm embedded in this whole. So in post-traumatic treatment, this works fantastic. In psychosis, it works fantastic. Depression? In depression, it works amazingly. Where medicine, classical Western medicine, doesn't even reach towards that. So, could be. This could be interesting to have a look if there's some research on, on, on healing narcissism on a spiritual level with psychedelics. Uh, for me, <laughs> that's, uh, that could sound like this is exactly because I don't think that they can get there on an intellectual level because this is something that happens on an energetic level. It could work with biofield tuning and energy healing. Because this is where you can treat trauma that you cannot access on a mental state. But I think it doesn't work on an intellectual level of insight. I, I hardly believe it. I, uh, yeah, I, I also think I, I, my mind also came to psychedelics. And I think there's probably a lot of very fruitful discoveries to be made there. I, um, I, I, I do think even though it's not currently classified as a type of neurodivergence, I think there's a lot of similarity. And if in their childhood, they've been deprived of so much love, I, I think they've come to be neurodivergent. And I 
don't I wouldn't place too much hope in healing. I mean they I think they it's they can experience integrative states and if they do that would certainly be very very healing but I I wouldn't basically I wouldn't count on it. Um also with the confrontation I my personal experience is it, in that it, it doesn't really work. It's really coming back to sort of a business like uh, communication because the confrontation they love a good fight they love a fight and it never ends they will always want to have the last word so uh, it's really just coming back to not taking whatever they say personal personally at all it's so far removed from reality and then you can say something if it feels right it's basically it would take a lot of experimentation and trial and error and there's no yeah, there's there's no I, I don't think confrontation would does it uh sufficiently. It's really like the boundary setting and the lack of engagement, lack of energetic engagement is really the basis. Um and I do go on. pulling out energy of the relationship. Yeah. This manipulative side of I heard that feeling like having a bad conscience about something. If, if people make your bad conscience a lot, it's quite probable that they are narcissists because with your bad conscience, they try to manipulate into doing things you actually don't want to do because you feel bad about something. And you'll, they also have just all kinds of attacks on your life, who you are and the choices you made, it, whatever. It doesn't matter. So you have to be really prepared to be attacked. Right? Put your shield on. And, and you feel like they don't really have a choice. It, it's like automatically. They, they can't stop. You say something uh, like my car was robbed and the first thing they'll say, why did you go there with the car in the first place? There's an underground station nearby. Yeah. So, so, so. <laughs> but is, is this all there is in this person, like the narcissist? It also happens on a spectrum, isn't it? Like, and the, not Christian, I, I still... Predominant, at least. Okay. Okay. And there are... Yeah, a personality disorder, yeah, sorry, a personality disorder is pretty dominant in, in their, uh, you know, again, like I do think of it as neurodivergence, right? It's similar, it has similarity to psychosis in that way, in that, yes, this person is a lot of things, but this trait has so much to do with how they act in the world and their relationships. And they have masterfully integrated it into into that what we call their normal behavior, their professional thing. It's a threat, it's a, but it's a permanent threat and it can jump at any possible yeah. uh, moment. They can be so sweet and supportive and helpful, but as you said, you cannot trust them. And it's also difficult for them because they're never trusted, so they can't get out of this role either. But... Um... I do want to also comment on Claudius. I'm glad you brought up Trump. I, I do think it's just so interesting how, you know, uh, significant enough uh, proportion of the public has no <laughs> insight to decipher such uh, malfunctioning, you know, traits, right? Right. So we, we do have to be on the alert. So I do think uh, people has to people have to be uh, there's a lot of education to be done to be aware of toxicity. And we, we you know, we are part of that. Right. And as consultants, we can teach others to be aware of this. I do think business leaders have a 
you know, high number, high proportion of narcissism and other toxic personalities did, right? I think the tragic yeah. is, as, as Yang said, that people tend to mistake their narcissism with leadership and, and follow them. And we see this in states, we see this in organizations, and we are oftentimes confronted with them as their consultants. It doesn't really work well. Um, narcissist leaders really don't like Christian and myself at all. We see it in spiritual communities. It doesn't work in Very spiritual well. communities, spiritual Very leaders. Well. And in the culture in general, we are in a narcissistic culture. Yeah. Advertising is all based on a narcissistic outlook. Yeah. Social media. Yeah. It, 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 you're forced to cultivate the narcissist in yourself. And, really and, like in own, and in our own practice of consulting, as I said before. So what you said in the beginning, Yang, this social media quality. This was for me, uh, I was in at Facebook for quite some years. And I, I left that arena because I was shocked what the worst it brought out of myself. I was ashamed of myself. How entitled I all of a sudden felt to comment on and in a way and form which I was which was I was surprised. It was strange to me to see that, to see myself acting that. And it was, it was, I had to physically do that step. Yeah, it's like it went in a direction I, I did not expect. Also with the um, psychedelics, this is really <laughs> another level. And um, we're here at the Conscious Consulting Group. And I actually didn't expect anything <laughs> less than... <laughs> Uh, amazingness. Um, a new branch. <laughs> don't put yeah. anything on their drinks, though. Make sure you don't put anything on their drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think the intervention part was really big with me. So is there something to do? And I think it's really clear that there is nothing I can do myself. Um, but being compassionate and being aware. I think this, at least being aware that this is a narcissist you're dealing with is also a big milestone for me in, in this relationship also, because we have been for in therapy for a long time already and we didn't detect it. And yeah. And now it, there's a, a whole new, um, uh, how do you say challenge with setting boundaries? Because now I feel like my saviorism uh, syndrome is triggered now. And uh, this is watching uh, passing by like yeah. a cloud. This is an, <laughs> another, yeah, another layer that comes up. So it's really transformative. This conversation, yeah. But and and just a quick note too, like with this initial acceptance, some of it can feel really depressing, right? Because we are not as powerful as we would like to be in a situation because it's, we're not dealing with like rational behaviors here. Um, I, you know, like when I. Uh, there was a podcast about this that I needed to listen to. It took me a whole week to listen to one podcast because it was so depressing. Like I couldn't quite accept this is this is what I'm dealing with. So just 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 so you know, like just to anticipate your own emotional ride with this, yeah. right? Like it's not it's not easy. Yeah, thank you, Ying, so much, and uh, to everyone else, thank you so much. It's really special. I think that we have this space here and that I I can ask those questions and we can yeah 
explore these questions. I just have one question to Shantina left, and it's yeah. what is the Taoist perspective on boundaries? Flexible. It's like uh, there are situations and moments when setting boundary is the correct thing to do. And there, is, and there are moments when um, no boundary is the right thing to do. When one of the of the lines of the first chapter of the Tao Te Ching um, is talking about desire and no desire. Uh, Desire meaning like attraction and repulsion, responding to situations either as attraction or as rejection or as repulsion. Um, and it says, if you are moved by desire, if you are moved by attraction, repulsion, then you're dealing with boundaries. Inevitably. It's like, if you are, if you are in no desire, no attraction, no repulsion, you contemplate the mystery, you contemplate the depths of existence. Um, but there are situations in which the point is not just contemplating the mystery of existence, but actually preventing harm from happening. And then there's, there's good and bad, there's um, useful or not useful. And it might be the right thing to set boundaries. And it's like um, Lao Tzu doesn't say be only one of these things. Either like you're dissolved in the ocean or you're identified with the wave. But you have to dance both. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Conscious Consulting Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into the field of conscious consulting, become a part of our community, visit ccg-group.eu and subscribe to our newsletter so we can stay connected. You will find the link in the show notes. We look forward to having you on board.